Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. Before I get into this episode, I just want to remind you all, if you have not subscribed to The Memo, the Monday newsletter that goes out, you are missing out. To join that newsletter community, just text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, to join the newsletter, Text CLIMB to 66866. In today's episode, you meet Karen Carr, Executive Managing Director at GE Ventures. Karen leads a team focused on making investments and developing partnerships in the advanced manufacturing ecosystem. Karen came to GE with two decades of experience in developing technology-based businesses and venture investing. Previously, she serves as a senior director of new ventures and alliances at the University of Southern California Stevens Center for Innovation, where she was responsible for accelerating the formation of startup companies out of university research. Highly acclaimed, Karen was named one of LA's top innovators in 2012 by C-Suite Quarterly, selected to C200 leading businesswomen in 2004, and selected by Crane's Chicago Business for its 40 under 40 list of leading business professionals in Chicago. Karen earned a PhD in physical chemistry from the University of Chicago and an AB in chemistry from Bryn Mawr College. Now, if you know anything about the investing world, you know that being a black female VC is pretty rare. I believe she is one of 64 black female venture capitalists in the entire United States. And it was such a joy to learn from all of the things that she's acquired in the last, you know, 20 plus years of being a black woman in a space that isn't necessarily created for her success and just her positive outlook on um, what it means to be a black woman um, in this world. And so I hope that you learn and get a lot from my conversation with Karen. Karen, thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. <laughs> Great. Um, so I know you're currently um, the, let's see, the executive managing director at GE Ventures. What does that mean? <laughs> Well, I lead a team within uh, the corporate venture capital group at uh, General Electric uh, that's focused in investing in innovative technologies that are transforming industries. So we do strategic investments, minority investments, in things that will make a difference uh, either in the near term or medium term uh, to our businesses. And so we've been focused on energy-related technologies, supply chain and logistics, mobility, uh, and the like. And I like to think of what we do uh, in my team and the broader ventures team as being one of the engines of corporate innovation. You've got your research center, you've got your um, business development activities or your M&A activities, and then you've got innovation through partnerships and what the ventures team is doing is trying to bring innovation to GE through partnerships. Got it. And is this something that you always knew that you wanted to do? I know I saw you have a PhD, um, but is this a job that you strategically plan to end up in? You know, I played tennis as a girl growing up, and so I I, uh, <laughs> I always stay in the ready position and, and, and ready to move in any direction. 
but well, probably when I was a girl growing up, I thought I wanted to be a medical doctor. Mm. Um, as a result of that, my mother was in nursing. As a result of that, when I went to college at Bryn Mawr College, I majored in chemistry and started doing undergraduate research uh, while I was there. Decided I liked research, um, and so went to graduate school at the University of Chicago, got a PhD in chemistry. And while I was a graduate student, um, you know, as a way to make some extra money, I started doing some technical consulting for a local venture capital firm. And really, the rest has been history because since I've since I finished my PhD, I've been engaged in the venture capital uh, arena and the tech commercialization uh, arena for the for my entire post PhD career. Got it. And when we hear now in the news, because being in venture capital is is a hot thing, and it has been, I would say, for the last you know five, seven, ten years. A lot of the times, the picture of what a VC is or who a VC is doesn't necessarily look like you. And so, do you remember, you know, the experience of your first job um, after you got your PhD, um, and what that kind of cultural um, adjustment may or may not have been? You know, it's inter- it's an interesting one because. A PhD in physical chemistry doesn't look like me either, for the most (laughs) part. Um, And so, to a very large extent, um, I would say my life post high school in New York was very much about being uh, either one of a handful or one of one Mm. in the room. So it was maybe something I had gotten used to over the years. I thought very little of it. I, I, you know, um, yeah, I thought very little of it. And venture capital is pretty interesting. Certainly not a lot of minorities um, and definitely not a lot. Not a lot of women, but definitely not a lot of minorities and not a lot of, of uh, blacks specifically. <laughs> I used to joke that I know all of the black women in venture capital. I think once uh, we all went to a spa in Austin. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is a phenomenal. Um, have you seen, I mean, you've been involved in the VC world in different capacities for a really long time. Have you seen that change? Like, are there more of you guys now than there were, you know, when you started all those years back? Uh, regrettably, not not exponentially more, not even multiplicatively more. There's maybe a handful more, um, yes, but uh, but then some attrition as well. So uh, probably not. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I would assume that, you know, when you are one of one or one of a handful, right, um, figuring out how to navigate the new world, um, that there's not really much of a blueprint. How have, you know, mentorship, be it from someone black or not black, played a role in, you know, navigating your career? Oh, my God. Mentorship has been really vital to me in, in really all stages of my career. Even when I was a student, I had... Uh, wonderful mentors. Uh, My first uh, job in venture was when I was interning as a graduate student, and uh, one of the young partners at at Arch 
um, his wife had gone to uh, my same uh, college, although we didn't overlap, but that created something of a bond between us. And he was, he was, uh, he gave me tremendous advice throughout my career. Um, and I actually still turn to him today whenever I, I need anything uh, or want to think through a topic on on uh, on the venture side. So that's one. But I, I don't think you need to limit yourself to to one mentor uh, per se. I spent some time um, uh, at Intellectual Ventures in Seattle, and there I was extraordinarily fortunate to work for uh, two phenomenal um, black leaders who were both women. Mm -hmm. um, Adrian Brown was the CEO of Intellectual Ventures, and uh, Luria Yaden, wh whom I had the pleasure to work for directly, was, um, uh, was one of her chief lieutenants and, and ran uh, one of the funds for them. So and and I have reached out recently to to uh, to both of them, sort of looking for some advice and counsel. So it's, <laughs> it's wonderful when you're able to get it for sure. But I don't think you need to limit yourself to just black women or just women, or because I think probably my the mentor I call on the most is a white guy. Got it. And so for for people who are listening and they're trying to figure out. One, how do you get a mentor? Like, should they be asking someone? And then two, once they have a mentor, what are they, what should they be looking for from that relationship? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know that if I went up to Keith, if, uh, I don't know that it's anything that, even that formal, mm. uh, other than we will, um, you know, I reach out. Um, maybe we'll get together for lunch. Hey, this is what I'm up to. How are the kids? How's the wife? <laughs> you know, here's something I'm working on or something I'm struggling with. What advice do you have? You know, here's a look. Would love your input on something. Um, and and I I try to do that with honestly as many people as possible. And then I just try to leave myself open for for some candid feedback. I was a the, the what enabled me to make a transition from um, academic physical chemistry to venture capital certainly was partially my internship with Arch and partially um, really a lot of of uh, of, um, of the Kaufman Fellows Program, which is. Um, an internship in venture capital and really trying to build venture capital leaders. And as part of that, they, they do assign you a mentor. Mm. And uh, I did have a mentor, uh, Pat Clority, uh, at Patrick Off Ventures, and I try to keep up with her as well. Um, and and the, the thing that they told us was, hey, you know what? The mentorship is the responsibility of the mentee. Mm. <laughs> You know, you've got to be the one who's proactively, you know, reaching out, putting time on the calendar, and having an agenda of what you want to get. Got it. So the mentee takes ownership of, you know, the relationship and making sure that it, it, it is something that is, you know, beneficial to both of them. 
That's right. That's right. I think that's right. Got it. Got it. And um, we talked briefly about this, um, and this is, you know, for you personally, right? When we think about corporate America or the jobs, there seems to be a lot of conversations around, you know, your authentic self and bringing your whole self to work. And for you, what does that look like? Um, and do you think that it's changing in terms of how acceptable certain people's authentic selves are accepted versus not accepted? think I bring my authentic self to work. Now, the question is, what is your authentic self? Mm. Right? And uh, for me, um, uh, certainly it is New Yorker. I totally identify as a New Yorker. <laughs> uh, and, and, and everything that that implies. Uh, and uh, um, you know, my family is uh, ethnically Jamaican. Um, uh, my I married, no kids, uh, love sports. So, uh, you know, bring certainly bring uh, the the passions to work because at the end of the day, it's really it's all about relationships and relating. Mm. And finding some way to uh, to relate to folks um, is is super helpful. You know, uh, I know my husband and I are now fortunate to have children. Uh, we didn't necessarily want children, so that's also good. <laughs> but but you know, a lot of people relate around kids. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but that's you know that's not an angle for me. But I'm happy to ask people about their kids, and and that's great, folks. We generally tend to ask me about how my pets are or how my husband is, or you got to find some way to humanize people and uh, so make yourself vulnerable so that people can connect to you, I think is important. Got it. And you mentioned your husband. Um, did you ever think about how getting married would um, impact your career? Or first part of that, how senior in your career were you, were you when you got married? And did you give any considerations to how that would impact your career? I was in my um, early 30s when I got married. And I was a partner at my firm. Um, so the marriage part wasn't that that part wasn't as challenging. I think what what I thought a lot about uh, was the having children mm. and how that would impact the career because um, you know VCs travel a lot, and I, I've got to say I've, I I know a lot of VC women. Um, who have kids and have great spouses who help out with the kids or have nannies who help out with the kids. And I've, I've been, um, I've been amazed at what, uh, what, uh, my colleagues, the, the, the balls that they've been able to, uh, to juggle. But for me, it was some, definitely something that I, I thought about, uh, uh, but, it, but having kids was really never that big of a priority for me. Hmm. Got it, got it. And so for your your job, you mentioned that you travel a lot. Um, 
What are some skills that you've had to develop over the course of your career that allow you to be successful in the role that you're sitting in today? Yeah, so I think, you know, building a career, any career, is very much like playing chess, right? You start off with some advantage, and it might be a small advantage if you play chess and um, you're playing the uh, you're playing the white pieces, so you move first, you start out with a tempo piece. If you're playing the black pieces, you have maybe a little bit more uh, ability to uh, choose the game, help define what that game is. So you just try to start off with some advantage and trade it for the next. Uh, for me, obviously I, I invest in technology, so I started off with something of a, of a technical skill that I could trade. Um, and one of the things that I did trade that for was some, for some, you know, sort of your basic finance legal stuff that you really need to know to transact. I don't think you, it's not rocket science, and I'm a rocket scientist by training, so felt pretty comfortable that I could learn that, but definitely needed to, to figure out the basics. But those are just sort of rudimentary skills. I think what's really most important for building a career in any career, uh, so those financial things were things that were specific to the career path that I chose. The ability, I think, to communicate effectively is the number one thing. Mm -hmm. It's a very difficult thing to tell a simple story and a simple, compelling, impactful, meaningful, memorable story. Um, and sometimes we give short shrift to the ability to do that and particularly when you're like me, a PhD chemist, you know, you can come in and you got a whole bunch of charts and whatever, people get lost <laughs> in details. You, know? <laughs> you gotta simplify and focus on what's important. Um, and I think that is 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 super, super important. And even as I sit here at uh, at GE I, uh, and look at how people have moved up the leadership ranks. The ability to communicate is the number one uh, task of a leader and of a, and of a CEO. Uh, so that's one that it is a skill that I continue to hone. Uh, it is one that I stress with my team that I manage. Um, so that's probably the number one thing that uh, that that I skill that I uh, think is most important to helping me get where I am. And I think the second skill is just actually the ability to network. Um, mm. to, to some extent, and I am an introvert, which is probably why I'm, you know, PhD chemist. Uh, so it, it's not necessarily that easy for me, but you just got to force yourself to get out there and to do it and to authentically enjoy people uh, when you're interacting with them. Cause essentially every job I've ever had, I've gotten through networking. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I've gotten no jobs by applying to a post. Hmm. They've all come through networking. Hmm. Wow. And so I have follow-ups for each of the points. So we'll start with the communication piece, right? So I know there's a lot of times, not a lot of times, but the stereotypes about like, being an angry black woman and communicating too aggressively. Is that something that you think about um, as you work on how you deliver information and people getting to consume, like the, the tone and, and things like that? Do you think about that um, as you 
figuring out how to effectively communicate with the people that you work with? Well, if I come back to the sort of bringing your authentic self, uh, I'm candid. Uh, so I like to be candid. Now, I had a, a mentor that I, uh, that I worked with, and he was also candid. And he was from New York, so we shared that in common. And he would often say, and I always appreciated this, he said, well, I'm just going to say this. And then we'll get it out there, and then I'll clean it up later. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm just going to say this, right? So I try to do that, mm. right? Because it's, it's, I need to be candid. I need to, sometimes you just need to deliver information mm -hmm. in, in an honest way so that everybody's kind of in the same space. And, and as long as folks understand that you care and that you're not trying to undermine them, I think there's room to be, there's definitely room to be candid. Mm. Um, um, Kim Scott's got a book uh, called Radical Candor. So if you're candid and people believe you care, it's okay to mm. be direct. Mm. Um, in fact, I, I hate it when people are indirect and I don't know what they're telling me. I use a lot of humor. I've got a, a, a wicked sense of humor and uh, I pretty much make a joke out of everything. And so uh, on my team, we try to joke a lot. You know, if you're going to make jokes, you better be able to take some, too, when people crack at you. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so we have very good give and takes uh, on the team, and, and I think that's, uh, I think that's uh, helpful. Um, that said, I do think about, because, you know, when you're, you're advocating for an investment or what have you, and you're super passionate about it, and, and it's okay to be passionate, um, and passion matters, uh, and folks disagree, you don't want to be shrill or disagreeable. So I do think about that. Mm. What that balance is. And how to balance that, exactly right. And sometimes you got to take a, a step back to take two steps forward, but just try to be mindful of it. Got it. And you talked briefly about your team and, you know, having, you know, the ability to communicate with them directly and the jokes. Um, when people on your team, because I know this is something that we discuss, right, if they have been with you for a while and they feel like they are um, – ready maybe for the next step within your team, be it, you know, a promotion in title or in salary or somewhere else within the organization, what things should they be thinking about um, prior to coming to talk to you about that next step? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I try to meet with everybody on my team uh, once, uh, once every other week. Um, and, and then we have our mid-year and annual reviews. And one of the things I certainly do on the annual review, because sometimes the, the, you know, every other week review is a little tactical, but on the annual review, we will want to take a step back. And one of the questions I ask them is where do they, what skills do they want to develop and what do they want to do next? Because it's really my job as a leader to help people advance in their careers. Hmm. And 
and what gives me the permission to be radically candid with them is if they know and understand that I'm trying to help them advance in their careers. Mm. Um, so I definitely make time to have those one-on-one -on -one meetings with them where we can talk about what's best for them. Um, and then if there's anything that I can do to help them both in their current assignments and then in getting to the next assignment, um, that's what I'm going to focus on. Got it, got it. And then are there specific data points, right? So do you want to know, you know, the contributions that they've made thus far, the, like what they're hoping to, you know, add in terms of value to the company? Are there specific things that, because I know a lot of times people that I talk to feel stuck, but they don't necessarily know what data they need to get unstuck. Yeah, so I'm generally asking folks about what do they think they want to do, what are they passionate about, and do they want to do it here at GE, right? Mm. Or, or is it someplace else? And candidly, hey, look, GE's a great company, and a lot of people have fantastic, you know, 30-plus year careers here and are very interested in moving up the ranks within GE, and we have programmatic uh, things that we can do for, uh, for people who are interested in doing that. We've got training classes that we can send them to. We've got, um, there are always opportunities to get on task forces or things like that that give them exposure to executives higher in the company. So we try to think through those types of things if that's what they want to do. And sometimes that's not what they want to do. Mm. They maybe want to do venture capital outside of GE. And then we think about how to build out a network for them so that when they're ready to leave uh, GE and look for jobs outside, that they have all the context that they need. Mm. So uh, that's kind of how I try to think about it. And honestly, it's different for each individual on the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last thing you talked about was networking. And from this conversation, I don't know that I'm completely sold that you are an introvert. I think you seem very extroverted to me, um, but that's just in the brief conversations. But for you as someone who doesn't necessarily see yourself as an extrovert um, naturally, how have you built your network? I'm, I'm perhaps a uh, learned extrovert because you're not the first person to say that but um my idea of a good time is being at home alone reading a book with some music on <laughs> so, so you know i actually i have to i have to go to a a, a crane's event this evening and i'm like oh man how long do i have to say it you know? so it, it will we'll see um I do great one-on-one, -on -one. Mm -hmm. uh, so if I can try to reduce some of these things to one-on-ones versus one-on-manys, I'm much uh, better, um, and so I do try to do that. Um, but I think one of my strategies on the networking side is I was super fortunate to uh, do the Kaufman Fellows Program and so that's provided me with a fantastic network of VCs globally. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and I'm pretty 
good about making sure that I attend events and I'm on their board. Um, so I'm I'm giving back to it, but I'm but I'm also leveraging it <laughs> for for absolute sure because venture capital is really uh, a network business, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of um, sharing deal flow, investing together, diligencing, using your network to do due diligence. And then I have a network of folks um, from my college and from graduate schools, different walks of life that I that I try to leverage as well. So that's that's been my strategy. But I, it's, sometimes I think we get so hyper focused on what we're doing on a day to day basis that we forget to attend those networks, mm. and they take work, right? They do. They they absolutely do. Um, and then looking at your career, which is incredibly impressive, um, how have you known when it was time for you to move on to the next opportunity? Um, you know, I think some, sometimes it's uh, you're looking for more responsibility. Um, you're not learning as much as you thought you would or you want to be doing something different and uh, we've definitely had uh, those times uh, in the past. So I say when the learning rate slows down, it's probably time to to think about what's next or if you're constantly gritting your teeth and frustrated, it's time to think about what's next. Mm. And as you've gotten higher in your uh, in your career, right, the the visibility that your mistakes get also get higher, right? And you know, a lot of times people are afraid to take on new opportunities or new responsibilities because they are afraid of making mistakes. They're afraid of making mistakes on a larger scale. And so how do you think about mistakes as it pertains to like your career and your development? Oh my God, I'm in venture capital. I mean, I make mistakes all the time. I make something with millions of dollars. Oh, um, that statement and, and just made me sweat. I started sweating, and it's not even me losing the millions, and I'm sweating. <laughs> but uh, but hopefully, I make some some good calls, and when when I make good calls, we make tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. So mm. uh, it's it's um it's interesting. We've we've been one of the things we've been working on at GE, which at least I have had some experience with my whole career, is it's okay to make mistakes. Venture capital is not about not taking risks. It's actually absolutely about taking risks and learning to manage those risks. Um, and sometimes that means walking away from an investment and not throwing good money after bad. Um, so that's just going to happen. Um, when you work for a company like a GE where we make aircraft engines and uh, power, you know, combined cycle power plants, people aren't used to making mistakes. Mm. Um, and yet if you don't take some risk, it's hard to innovate um, and it's hard to have real breakthrough advances. So you got to be willing to uh, to put yourself out there. But again, it's it's really about trying to identify what the risks are and try to manage those risks. But it's not as though, candidly, it's not as though you can identify every risk 
<laughs> and it's 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 one hundred percent okay to make make mistakes. That said, uh, I guess Jeff Bezos's Amazon ways. It's okay to make mistakes, but try not to make too many. <laughs> you got to have some wins in there too. <laughs> Um, and can you people tolerate a mistake if you have lots of wins? That's for sure. I know that's right. Um, can you think back to maybe something not now, but earlier in your career, a decision, a mistake, a learning opportunity that you made where you thought, like, oh my goodness, this is it for me, and what your process was for recovering from that? Hmm. Did I ever make a mistake? where I thought, oh, my God, this is it. You know, no, I don't think, I, 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 I don't think that I ever thought that in any mistake. I mean, again, we've lost money, and I try to learn from, I think the biggest thing in making a mistake is how do you learn from it and what, uh, and, and, how, and, and how do you bounce back, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, Right. Um, you know, uh, when I uh, left Arch Venture Partners, where I was one of the managing directors, I struck out uh, and I was trying to raise my own fund. Okay. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, you know, kind of one of the founding partners in the, you know, in the sort of inner sanctum of, of power there. And I said, okay, well, maybe it's time to, to start doing your own thing. And I spent two years doing that, um, and I was actually unsuccessful doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, I didn't sort of sit around sort of feeling like a failure. <laughs> actually, that, w- once I decided, okay, it was time to pivot, this story was getting a little stale, I, you know, I actually tried to put myself more out there mm-hmm. rather than retreat. Right. This was now a time when I really needed to be relying on my network to figure out what was going to be next for me. Um, so uh, for, for me, it's just sort of pick yourself up, dust yourself off and get back going and figure out what's next. That's right. Um, one of the. Because people are. It's actually people are amazingly supportive. You think they're not, and maybe people feel embarrassed and they want to hide, but there's no need to do that. And then one of the things, I guess, especially if you're going through a hard time um, with a mistake or something, something that we all talk about all the time is self-care, right? Which I think for me, I say this over and over, it's very stressful because I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing this self-care thing right. You know, am I supposed to go to the spa? Am I supposed to get my nails in? Am I supposed to sleep? Like, I don't I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. So for you as someone who has a highly demanding job and a full life outside of, of work, what does self-care look like for you? So I am um, pretty religious about exercising, so even when I travel, I could be traveling to China or whatever, I'm, I'm always going to bring 
exercise stuff. I'm going to bring my sneakers and some gym shorts and, you know, sports bra, whatever. I'm going to get out and run or find a gym. I, my admin is under strict uh, instructions to not book me at a place that doesn't have a gym. It's got <laughs> to be a gym, right? <laughs> it has to be a gym or else it's not going to work out. Uh, and even my husband knows if if we're traveling, the hotel better have a gym. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes he fails on that, and I think he's less worried than my admin is about the consequences. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, I do, I do try to even. But, but the good thing is, if, if running is in your repertoire, then even if there isn't a gym, you can always go out for a run. Mm-hmm. And I think, that's what his, I think that's what he's thinking in the back of his mind. So. I'm pretty religious about that. I do that. I I do that both for me physically and for me mentally, uh, quite frankly. Um, I process a lot uh, in terms of what decisions do I need to get made or if I need to chew on something really difficult. Um, You know, running can be a great uh, opportunity to do that. Have you always Um, been, have you always been disciplined about your exercise? You know, I played tennis in school, so yeah, yeah, you know, kind of the athletes tend to be disciplined about that type of thing. Um, And then I would say uh, on the weekends, I definitely try to get some downtime on the weekends. Mm. Um, I, I definitely try to take one of the weekend days off, right, where... You know, unless there's some, like, super emergency, you know, I can usually um, take a Saturday for myself. Uh, My husband and I do something um, and uh, and then work on Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. Or Sunday Sunday evening after dinner is usually when I start responding to emails again, right? But you have, like, a period of time where you just sort of shut down a little bit. I mean, you can read or what have you, but you know, a little bit of time where you shut down. And then I would say my, my husband and I definitely try to um, make sure that we take some vacation. Um, we usually do something because we usually go travel somewhere great and just focus on ourselves mm. and connect, connecting with each other because we're apart so much of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, for work and travel that, you know, it's important for us to find that time to come back together and to enjoy uh, to enjoy each other. So we try to do some of that on the weekends, and then we try to find a, a block of time, a week, two weeks um, during the year where we can do that as well. It's usually around our anniversary. Got it, got it. And then you mentioned briefly uh, your stint um, as an entrepreneur. Um, is it something that you think you'll ever explore again at some point in your career? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I've always, I, uh, uh, yes, I, I think I will definitely do it. I think the opportunity to create a firm, to build a culture, um, is something that I'm excited about doing. Interesting. So, yeah. We're going to watch out. Will. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. <laughs> um, and then last question before we get to our lightning round. So let's say there's a, 
there's a young black woman who's sitting and trying to decide, like, if there is a place in corporate America for her, what would you say to her? I would ask her, well, what does she want to do? <laughs> what does she think her skills and strengths are? Uh, and if that is appealing, um, then I'd say there absolutely is a place. Um, if managing, and if, again, if I think about corporate America, and corporate America probably isn't a monolith, but usually they're marked by large teams, and if you feel like you can effectively manage large teams, and uh, um, and communicate and the like, then yeah, it probably is. And, uh, and then I would say it's probably about leveraging your networks to find the right position and then be willing to challenge yourself, take on new responsibilities. Um, oftentimes in multinational corporations like a GE, um, it's about getting a lot of uh, international exposure and exposure to our various business units and disciplines. So it really is about stretching yourself so that you can manage the breadth of the business. I know in my little corner of the business, uh, I like to make sure that that I can, I know what everybody on the team does, and if pressed, could do it, right? Mm. And so you just want to expose yourself to as, as much as possible um, so that you can take on more responsibilities. Um, and I lied. I have one more before the, the lightning round. Um, so you've been a VC or involved in VC work for quite some time now. What is the one thing, if there is one, that brings you the most joy about your job? You know, uh, I was privileged to be a part of investing in Illumina <clears throat> and working with them uh, as they grew that company, and now it's like the number one company in genetic sequencing. Wow. And honestly, to, 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 to invest in something that's sort of uh, an idea, nobody even really knows what to do with the idea, and then you help shape it and form it, and then to watch it, uh, a team get built, and then to be able to build something that's lasting and sustaining mm. and a leader in its industry – that's super exciting, mm. and, uh, you know, that's super exciting. On the healthcare side, I don't even do healthcare investing anymore. I look at some of the innovations that my colleagues are investing in, and those guys are curing cancer. I mean, mm. that's just really tremendous when you think about how these new technologies can profoundly impact industry, impact human life, uh, and being in the venture space and the innovation space, you get a chance to uh, to work on those things, and that's incredibly exciting. Got it, got it. So next is up is the lightning round. Don't overthink these. It's just the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the question. Um, and the first question is, what's one piece of career advice that you wish you'd gotten earlier in your career? That I wish I had gotten earlier in my career... You know, uh, one mentor did tell me, hey, you know, you got to be super careful in managing your image. Maybe I didn't think about that as much uh, <laughs> early in my career. And uh, I think that's 
that's important. I think he meant try not to get yourself stereotyped. And it's easy to get stereotyped as a lot of different things that could be negative. You, if you're going to get stereotyped, make sure that it's something positive. But, uh, yeah, it's just to be proactive in managing your image. Yeah. Um, what's the one career lesson that took you the longest to learn but has had the biggest impact on your career? You know, um, you don't need to be the smartest person in the room all the time. Uh, you do, uh, and it helps to have friends. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> the two things that uh, are probably the the, the, uh, the pieces of those are things that I learned the hard way and that I try to pass on to people when they ask me these kinds of questions. <laughs> um, what's the one book that has had the biggest impact on your career or that you could read over and over again? <sighs> biggest impact on my career. Uh, well, one was a technical book uh, uh, on new venture creation, just because that's kind of <laughs> some of the rudimentary stuff that I've been working on. But I tell you one thing that I that I think about now, and, and it's largely because I'm doing venture capital in a corporate context where there's a lot more responsibility for building and managing teams. Um, I referred to Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor. So I spent a lot of time trying to think about how to be an effective manager of people and leader of people. Because um, as a venture investor, you know, you're a board of, you're an advisor um, as opposed to necessarily leader. But, um, you know, in a corporate context, they need to be more of a leader. And uh, so, so Kim Scott's book has been great. Got it. And as you mentioned earlier, a lot of the, you know, the jobs that you've gotten and the opportunities that you've gotten have come completely through networking. And a lot of those times, those conversations about you are being had when you are not in the room. And so for you, what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? Well, despite the fact that I just said you don't need to be the smartest person in the room, I hope they're saying I'm smart. At <laughs> least <laughs> uh, she's capable. Um, uh uh, good investor, um, good person, right? Ethical, mm. get stuff done. That's the, that's, uh, I think, you know, that's what you could hope for. Good investor, smart and capable. And I'm sure that they are, they better be saying, no, I'm, I'm sure and that they are. Fun. <laughs> and, fun. And, and a ton of fun. I hope they're saying that too. Cause everybody wants to work with who are fun. Very, very true. Um, Again, thank you very, very much, Karen, for joining us um, on the podcast today. That was my last question. I, have, I actually have so many notes from the, from the things that you said, and I'm like, let me think about my career this way. But thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Washington, thanks for having me. Now, you know I like to end the episode talking about three things that I took away from the interview that I hopefully will remember as I move through my own career journey. And so here we go. First thing. People will tolerate mistakes if you have lots of wins. And so the thing is, it's okay to make mistakes, but make sure that you are knocking it out of the park more often than not. 
Second thing, sometimes you have to take a step backwards to take two steps forward. I think we look at our careers as linear progressions and it just moves forward on the straight line. And sometimes it's okay to take a step back, regroup, figure out what it is that you want to do and, um, and then, you know, move forward and accelerate the progress that you would have made. And the last thing is it's okay to be passionate. It's okay to be passionate it's okay to be passionate. Now, don't be shrill, don't be disagreeable, but it is okay to be passionate. I think a lot of times in um, corporate America, we feel like we have to, you know, tone down the passion that we feel because of, you know, you don't want to be associated with certain stereotypes that may not be positive, but it is okay to be positive. Just, it's okay to be passionate. Just don't be disagreeable. I loved this interview with Karen. It's probably one of my favorites. And so I hope that you all enjoyed it as well. Again, if you are not a member of our newsletter community, please do me a favor and join it. Join it by texting CLIMB to 66866. If this episode provided some value for you and you felt like somebody in your network could benefit from listening to it, please do me a favor and share it. And then last but not least, if you want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder and also on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.